0: So we've been doing this series, and it's been called Real Life, Real World, Real God. We've been calling it the R3 series at the staff level. We just shortened it right up to Real Life, Real World, Real God, R3. And uh, we've been looking at different letters that are written to the early church, that were written to the very first churches after Jesus' death and resurrection and ascension back up to heaven. There were little churches that popped up all over the place, and, and these churches were started by different disciples or different apostles. And then later, some of those apostles who, who had moved on to other communities or were in different circumstances, they would write letters back to these churches. And today we read these letters, and they're, they are our holy scripture. They are our sacred text, absolutely. But it's also important always to remember that these were letters that were written from real people to real people in specific times in history, a specific place in history, and they were living real lives and trying to figure out what it looked like to serve a real God in that context. And so we've been looking at that so that we can figure out how it applies in our context, and we've gone through different letters of the New Testament. And today we're looking again at Philippians. Philippians is a letter about four chapters long. We started it last week. We're going to do a quick overview this week, and then we're going to move on again next week because we're just doing this quickly one letter at a time. And so let me just remind you of a little bit of what we said last week about this church called, this letter called Philippians. It's written to a church that's in the city of Philippi, and Philippi is outside of the Roman Empire in Greece. It's this colony that has been set up, and it's filled with a lot of um, veteran soldiers of Rome so it's, it's a Roman colony outside of Rome. So it has all the laws and the civic pride of Rome. And that matters. It's going to come up later on. It's also a place that is a little bit hostile for Christians. Okay. When Paul and Silas started the church there, they ended up in jail pretty quick. And that's a whole story. And we talked about that last week. So now it's about 10 years later. And, and Paul is again in prison, but he's in prison somewhere else. And and we're not sure where we think probably Rome, but we're not sure. And, and he's suffering and it's a lot more serious this time. He actually doesn't know if he's going to live or die. And the church in Philippi has, has sent a message going, Paul, how are you? We care about you. They're, they've just maintained this really deep friendship and this deep affection for all of these years. And so they have sent a message. And last week we said that Paul sent a message back. And in this letter, he said, oh, you asked how I'm doing. Well, let me give you my answer. I'm in prison and I'm Great. Because the message of Jesus is spreading, right? And he said, I'm not, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if I'm going to live or if I'm going to die. But it doesn't really matter because God is at work anyway. Because it's all about, it's all about Jesus. And we said that Paul had this, this whatever happens faith. Right? This faith that said, whatever happens, doesn't matter if I suffer, doesn't matter if I die, doesn't matter if I live, it doesn't matter. God is at work, whatever happens, I am a follower of Jesus. We talked about each of us coming to a moment at some point in our lives, and sometimes we we reaffirm that moment later on, but a moment where we just say, look, yes or no, I am a follower of Jesus, whatever happens. And then the other piece to that whatever happens faith was was Paul's just understanding that whatever happens, God's got this. God has us. God is faithful. God is sovereign. God is over everything. And he's got this. And so he can bring good out of anything. And so Paul is just quite comfortable going, look, if I die, God is still at work. If I live, God is still at work. Whatever happens, God is still God, and I am a follower of Jesus. Turn the person beside you and just go, whatever happens, whatever happens. I'm going to make you do this a lot this morning, so just, you know, warm up your vocal cords now. You can do it, okay? And so so for Paul, especially in this letter to, to, to Philippi, to the Philippian church, it's all about Jesus. That's it. It's all about Jesus. And so we're going to look at two themes that kind of sum up the overall letter to the Philippian church. And there's other themes that are part of it. We don't have time to go into it all today, but we're going to look at two that are really simple. Here's the first one. Okay, you ready? Are you ready? Excited? Be like Jesus. Be like Jesus. This is the first theme that that you're going to see all the way through Philippians. And so in chapter 2, verse 5, Paul says, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had that is a good verse to memorize, by the way. If you're trying to get scripture to shape your heart and to influence your life, this is something you want to have on your bathroom mirror, on your fridge door, on your, your wallpaper, on your phone, whatever. You need to have this in front of you. You need to memorize it. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Be like Jesus. Be like Jesus in your attitude. Be like Jesus in your approach to everything. And, and somebody goes, well, I don't know what that attitude is. Well, Paul explains it ever so graciously. The very next verse in verse 6 says, although he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Now, I just want want you to hang on to that for a minute, okay? We're going to go through a lot this morning. What was this attitude that Jesus had that we're supposed to have? He knew his identity. He was God. He knew who he was, and he knew all that goes with it. He knows the rights of being God he knows he knows what he deserved. He knew all of that, but he didn't he didn't cling to it. He didn't hang on to it at the expense of following God's direction and God's priorities. Now listen. This is a lot to wrap your head around. This is a little tricky to wrap your head around. And and I am the first person usually that would just say listen, you need to know your identity in Christ and you do. You need to know that Jesus says that, that you, if, if you're a follower of Jesus, you are part of God's family. That's it. You're a saint. You carry Jesus within you. You carry the Holy Spirit within you. And, and I, I'm the first person to say you need to know your identity and you need to stand on it and you need to not be moved. But there is kind of a, a pop psychology version of that as well. And if you'll allow me to date myself a little bit, I kind of feel like it's sort of an Oprah thing okay, where somebody watches on TV, some sort of self-help TV or whatever, and they, and they hear about, oh, you need to know who you are, you need to know, and they go, and they go, oh, I know who I am, right, and I know, nobody can push me around, and I'm going to have whatever I want, nobody could tell me what to do, nobody could do anything, because I know my identity, because they saw it on TV, okay, there's no depth to that, there's no depth to that at all, and often it just becomes an excuse for getting my own way, this is different. Jesus, knowing who he was, knowing that he's God, he's the son of God, did not hang on to that at the expense of accomplishing God's purposes. Instead, it says in verse 7, he gave up his divine privileges and he took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. God reduces himself, born as a human being, and then not only that, when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. This is lower than any of us have gone. Some of us, I know I don't know everyone's story here, so some of us may have come close. That's very possible. But all of us are still here, are alive today. And so this is lower than any of us has gone. This is a constant downward journey for Jesus, the Son of God. Gave up his 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 living in his rightful place as God and as the Son of God, gives up his freedom and prestige as God becomes a slave, becomes a human being and not even an important human being. He actually gets totally Humbled and humiliated as a human being out of obedience to God's will and out of a value for God's priorities, and then falsely labeled as a criminal, abandoned by almost everyone, and then executed. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. What was that attitude? Obedience to God at his own very costly expense for the well-being of humanity. This is a a self-sacrificing, God-obeying love. How many go, well, that's sobering? A little bit. And Paul keeps going, and you can see that it starts coming back up again in verse 9. Paul says, therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor, and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It makes no sense to go from here and all the way down and totally humiliated to a criminal's death, and then poof, every knee will bow at this name. It makes no sense, except that's who God is. <laughs> And that's how God works, and that's the kind of thing he does. So Jesus, God, the son of God, gave up his rights, gave up his privileges, everything for the sake of the world, and because of that, God honored him. Be like that. Have that attitude. Be like Jesus. And here's what that looks like. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ, any comfort from his love, any fellowship together in the spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. I mean, what an amazing statement that is. What an amazing um, vision statement that would be for a church, agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another and working together with one mind and purpose. And, And Paul seems to think that loving each other and working together follows from belonging to Jesus and follows from living with the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And so he goes, if you know who you are, be like this. If you know who you are, be like Jesus. And then and, and he says, you know, you need to work together with one mind and one purpose, which is just, it's sort of this statement that we need to unpack a little bit. This whole idea of working together with one mind and one purpose is not just unity, it's unity around Jesus' priorities. It's unity around Jesus' purposes. It's unity around what Jesus thinks is important. Being in unity together is not just the end, it's not the end goal separated from everything else. You can have unity together as a crowd, but if it's not with Jesus as the, as the, as the priority or the thing that is centered on, you can really run into problems. Cults have unity together. Mob mentality is an example of unity together. Genocide is sometimes committed when people are in unity together. It has to be unity in line with the gospel and in line with, with Jesus and focused on Jesus. Now, let me, let me just give you just a simple example of this. You know that at this church, we have, we have a lead team, or you might know them as a, a board of directors. There they are. They're super beautiful people. We're missing Nick Othieno in that picture, so we're just going to Photoshop his head in there and just float it in there. But we have a, we have a lead team, and they're in charge of uh, overseeing, basically, the administration and the finances of Evangel Church. And they are people we meet together once a month. They're elected uh, by the voting members. And so if you're a voting member, you know that this Sunday we opened up the nominations again. And if you want to participate in that whole process through the summer of nominations, then you can do that. And, and in, in the fall, we, we all vote and we ratify uh, the recommendation that's brought to us by our lead team. Now, let me, can I just tell you something? We have a godly lead team. We have a fantastic board here at this church now there are times in other churches in other places in other points of history where sometimes you hear stories of, of lead teams or boards that, that they just they just struggle a little bit. They don't function together in unity. They're not working together. They don't have one mind. They're not, they're not loving each other. They're not sacrificing for God's purposes. They're not trying to work for the good of the church. There's all kinds of stories out there of lead teams that are like that. But we have a godly lead team at this church, and I'm so thankful for that. We really do. We have a lead team that they don't compromise on what matters and they're full of wisdom and they're full of joy and they're not afraid to hash things out. And, and can I just tell you that once a month we come together, and this is why I'm telling you this, we're talking about unity. There's, there's this thing we do when we come together once a month. We just did this past week. We come together, we eat supper together because supper always helps build relationships. Okay? Food always helps. That's, it's in the Bible somewhere. And so we have supper together. And then, and then we pray together. And before we make any decisions, before we review any financial reports, we, we pause and we pray, and this is what we pray every time. Holy Spirit, would you come and fill this room that we're in? Would you come and fill our hearts and our minds with you again? And God, would you bring our thoughts into line with each other and with you? Bring us into unity and bring us into unity around your purposes. We pray that every single time. Unity of purpose around God and God's purposes. Be like Jesus. Turn the person beside you and go, be like Jesus. Okay? Here's what that looks like. Verse 3. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. Be like Jesus, okay? There's this assumption, there's this crazy idea in this understanding of who Jesus was and how we're supposed to be like him, that that other people and their needs are are more important than mine. And some of us are going, what? And others of us have heard it so many times, we've lost the ability to go, what? What? But we need to go, what about this? Maybe just just take a look around, because we've maybe heard this too many times. Just move your head on your neck and look around at the people around you. Actually turn turn your head, look around at them, and go, well, their needs are more important than mine. And some of you are going, well, I don't like the person that I just looked at. Well, turn the other way and look the other direction. You're going to, oh, well, their needs are more important than yours too, right? This, this whole be like Jesus, each of these people and their needs are more important than mine. Now, mind you, hopefully they're looking back at you and thinking the same thing. And it's it's terrifying and it's super vulnerable, but it's kind of exhilarating because could you imagine a church like that, where every person functioned as if somebody else's needs were more important than their own? Can I just tell you, know, I don't know how many of you watched Prince Harry and Meghan's wedding yesterday. Anybody? Okay. A few of you did. Yeah, I did. And I'm not ashamed. Okay. I watched that wedding. And I just want you to know if you did not watch it, you should have watched it because somebody preached there. Okay? Yes. And I'm quoting it this morning because Bishop Michael Curry stood up at Prince Harry and, and Meghan's wedding. And, and he, I mean, he brought the gospel. But he said, now somebody once said that Jesus began the most revolutionary movement in all of human history. A movement that is grounded in the unconditional love of God for the world. A movement mandating people to live that love and in so doing to change not only their lives but the very life of the world itself. It was powerful. It was this mic drop moment, and it was this this description of how the body of Christ is supposed to function. You know, like, like, a, like a multi-layered choreographed dance that you sometimes see by super talented people, and they're all working together. This is how the church works, all putting each other's needs ahead of our own, because if one person is out for individual glory or one person is out to just steal the limelight, well, then the whole thing is going to fall apart. But it works if everybody is working together with the same object and the same purpose in mind to follow Jesus. And I've said it before and I'll say it again. If you look around at this room full of people, we are all so different. It's absolutely ridiculous that we are all in the same room together. There is nothing that could bring all of us here in this room, nothing that would bring us under the same roof except Jesus. It's only Jesus. Jesus is the reason that we're all together in this same room. And so we focus on Jesus. And then Paul continues talking to his congregation as as this absent pastor. And he says in verse 12, Dear friends, you always followed my instructions when I was with you. And now that I'm away, it's even more important. So work hard to show the results of your salvation Obeying God with deep reverence and fear. For God is working in you to give you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. And I love this whole work hard to show the results of your salvation. Those results are obedience, reverence, and awe of God. The results of our salvation should be showing up in our life as a desire and the ability to please God, to do what matters to him. This is what Jesus did. This is what Christ-like means. Be like Jesus. And here's how that looks, verse 14. Do everything without complaining and arguing so that no one can criticize you. Live clean and innocent lives as children of God shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked. And perverse people be like Jesus, be a sign, be a symbol of hope and joy. And Jesus, in a world that is filled with cynicism and outrage and offense and anger and despair, sometimes be like Jesus. Here's the second theme. You ready? Identify with Jesus. Turn the person beside you. Go identify. With Jesus. Paul says in chapter 3, verse 1, whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. I never get tired of telling you these things, and I do it to safeguard your faith. It's this caring language of this pastor that's a way going. I'm not going to get tired of telling you this, but I also care about protecting you and there's something I want you to watch out for and it's going to all be about about Jesus. Now, let me just explain cuz I got to give you some background so you understand what he's talking about. In this church in Philippi, it hasn't happened yet. But but Paul's a little bit worried that something's going to come in because it's happened in other churches. And so in other churches, uh, there were, there were Christians who had, had begun and they were, they were Jewish people first, and then they became Christians. And of course it had become clear to all the churches and it had become clear through scripture that Jesus salvation was for everybody. But sometimes when you've been God's chosen people for a long time, it's hard to just, just let that go. And so there had been problems in other churches with, with some of the Jewish Christians trying to combine the two. Not all of them, but just some of them. And, and privately, there were still instances of some of them, you know, referring to non-Jewish Christians as dogs, which was not complementary. And, and some of them still thought that you had to do good works and you had to obey the Old Testament law that, that Jesus wasn't quite enough. So you combine the two together. And some of them said that, that the males had to be circumcised like they were in order to be a follower of Jesus. So they're, so they're pretty attached to and pretty caught in their, their Jewish identity first, more than their Christian identity. And they saw themselves as superior Christians, okay? And so they wanted the non-Jewish Christians to also adopt their Jewish laws and customs too. This had been happening in other churches. It wasn't happening yet, we don't think, in the church in Philippi, but Paul's worried it's going to happen. And so he gives them this uh, a fairly sharply worded heads up. He says in uh, verse two, watch out for those dogs. He calls them dogs. Those people who do evil, even though they see it as good works, Those mutilators, like pagan cults of the day who demand ritual cutting, etc., who say you must be circumcised to be saved. And then Paul turns around and he counters every point. He says, for we who worship by the Spirit of God are the ones who are truly circumcised. That's our identity. We rely on what Christ has done for us, not trying to do good works, not, you know, following Old Testament law. We put no confidence in human efforts, although I could have confidence in my own effort if anybody could. Now, you got to remember, Paul was a highly respected, highly educated, highly trained um, Jewish man before he became a Christian. And so he's not speaking when he speaks this. He's not speaking out of hate. He's speaking, this is his own people. He's speaking out of, I've been there. And so that's what he says. Indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. I was circumcised when I was eight years old, eight days old. I'm a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew, if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church, and as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. There's nobody more than Paul that can talk about identity and could talk about who he identifies as, and there's nobody more than Paul that would talk about living right. But if that is outside of Jesus, it doesn't matter. Identify with Jesus. Paul says, I once thought these things were valuable. Now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else. I count it as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. And I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law, but rather I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. I want to know Christ. And I want to experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to share. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death so that one way or another, i will experience the resurrection from the dead identify with jesus before any other identity because it's about jesus it's about jesus it's about jesus identifying which my salvation is about jesus any good that i do is about Jesus. Anything separate from Jesus doesn't really matter and it doesn't contribute to my identity. I am part of God's family because of Jesus. And having a whatever happens faith in Jesus might result in some suffering and it might even result in death as well as mighty power and joy because I am a follower of Jesus. Identify with Jesus, Paul says in verse 12, I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I haven't achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. Don't you just love that language? Christ Jesus first possessed me. God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. There's a whole bunch through this whole letter about the work that Jesus has done in our lives, the work that Jesus has done for us. And there is this determination that we talked about last week that we can persevere as followers of Jesus because God is persevering with us. We can hang on to God because God is hanging on to us. And then Paul says in verse 15, let all who are spiritually mature agree on these things. If you disagree on some point, I believe God will make it plain to you. But we must hold on to the progress we've already made. Dear brothers and sisters, pattern your lives after mine and learn from those who follow our example. For I've told you before, and I say it again with tears in my eyes, there are many whose conduct shows that they're really enemies of the cross of Christ. They're headed for destruction. Their God is their appetite. They brag about shameful things. They think only about this life here on earth. But, 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 we are citizens of heaven. We are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives. And we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our savior. He'll take our weak and mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own, using the same power with which he will bring everything under his control. We are citizens of heaven. Now, remember how I said that Philippi, this city, was a colony outside of Rome in Greece, but it was a Roman colony. Remember I said that? Well, yes, I do. Patty. That was just 10 or 11 minutes ago. Yes, it was. And I knew that it would stick with you. Okay? So the colony of Philippi, they take great pride in being Roman citizens. Their goal is not to go back to Rome. Their goal is to carry Rome to where they are. Their goal is to, they're, 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 we are citizens of Rome. We are bringing Rome's culture and Rome's wonderfulness and Rome's value to this colony that is outside of Rome, and we're proud to do it. We are citizens of heaven, and we're not just sitting and waiting to be able to go to heaven. We are bringing heaven's culture and heaven's life and heaven's value to this world that we live in that is outside of heaven. That's our identity. That's who we are. That's what we're doing. And just like citizens of Rome knew that if they got into trouble, they could count on the emperor to come and he would have their back and he would help them, Christians know we can count on Jesus' return to help and to make us new again and to make everything right. They can count on that. And so Paul says, stay true to the Lord. Stay true to the Lord. Your identity is is in Jesus. Your identity is not primarily Jewish or non-Jewish or retired Roman soldier or anything else. Your identity and your allegiance and your loyalty is to Jesus. And if you are a follower of Jesus before you're anything else, stay true to Jesus. Identify with Jesus turn the person beside you and just say that identify with Jesus. And you know there's so many things that we identify with today, right? So many labels. Sometimes we take them on ourselves, sometimes we put them on others. We we identify maybe by our ethnicity, or our, our place of origin, well, I'm from here, or I, I identify with this ethnicity, or I, whatever, this is my culture. We, we talked a year or so ago about Quebec culture and talked about cracking the Quebec code, and are we Quebecers, or some people here are not Quebecers, and, and what does that look like, and what does that mean, and we have these labels we have labels based on age to help explain who we are. Well, I'm a baby boomer. I'm a, I'm a builder. I'm a millennial. And there's, you know, two or three Gen Xers here because we're still here holding on between all the rest of you. Or, or we identify with this label, you know, well, wh- women are men. So women, what was it? Men are from Mars. Women are from Venus. Or we all, you know, we do things differently. That's my label. Or we, we label by all kinds of things, uh, you know, Catholic or refugee or indigenous or, or fourth. Generation Canadian or a convert from Islam, and or or even labels by our skill set or how we what we do or what we're like. Well, I'm a doer, well, I'm a thinker, well, I'm a creative, well, I make systems. Well, I'm not really into the systems, but I do frontline. But we and there's all these things, and they help us to explain who we are, and they help us to work together, and they help us to get along. All of these labels, but we are first, first, first. We identify with Jesus. We are followers of Jesus. And that takes precedence over all the rest. You know, it's a tough thing to wrap our heads around, isn't it? It's deceptively simple. You can walk out of here easily going, be like Jesus, identify with Jesus. Seems awfully simple. How hard can it be? It's only three words per sentence be like Jesus, identify with Jesus. It is deceptively simple because really it's awfully hard to wrap our heads around. But it changes everything. Everything. Every interaction that we have. What's coming up in your week this week? Every interaction that we have. What's God's purpose in this? God, how can I obey you in this? How can I make the needs of the other more important than my own? It impacts everything. Every relationship that I have, that one too. Every relationship that I have, is it my rights or is it their rights? Who's coming first? How I function with my church is impacted by this. It's not just a consumer mentality coming in and sitting in the chair I like to sit in and folding our arms and going, Well, I don't know why, what's the church done for me lately. That's not how it works at all. It's about working together all of us considering each other's needs more important than our own and doing it all and coming into unity and being of one heart and one mind for God's purposes, for the purposes of Jesus. It even impacts myself how I see myself, my own identity, before I identify by my job or by my role in my family or before I identify by, by my character or my skill set or my ethnicity or my age, I am first a follower of Jesus. Identify with Jesus. Be like Jesus. And the only way we can do it is by the power and life of the Holy Spirit within us. So I'm going to ask if you would bow your heads at this moment. We're just going to take just a couple of minutes, just quietly in our own space, to respond to God's word and to be able to hear the whisper of the Holy Spirit talking to us. And I want you to just bring your mind into your space and how you spend your time and your energy, your work, your marriage, um, whether you're you're self-employed or you're a manager or you're unemployed or you're a student, whether you're a husband or a wife, parent, son or daughter, grandparent, neighbor, all the things that make up your life, all the things that identify you. And in that space, hear the Holy Spirit whisper, be like Jesus. Where others' needs are higher than mine, be like Jesus. Where I let go of my rights, what's owed to me, what's deserved to me, And I let go of that to serve God's purposes. And I choose to live in self-sacrificing love that changes the world. And in those spaces where we live, where we spend our days, and where we live our real lives in a real world, Hear the Holy Spirit whispering. Identify with Jesus. Because you are a citizen of heaven. You aren't just living in some little Christian bubble, just waiting to be taken away to heaven. No, you are here as a citizen of heaven, bringing the values. Of Jesus into the space that you're in identify with Jesus Holy Spirit would you whisper into each of our hearts this morning about that show us what that looks like and how we walk that out drop that into our hearts even right now Thank you, God. Thank you, God. I'm going to ask if you would stand this morning and hold out your hands. It's a symbol of openness to God, if you're okay with, with that. You know, today's Pentecost Sunday It's the day when we remember that the Holy Spirit was poured out and everybody's lives changed. And we can't be like Jesus. We can't identify with Jesus without the power and the life of the Holy Spirit at work within us. So Holy Spirit, come again. Fill us again. We're standing here before the throne of God. And we are inviting the spirit of the living God to fill us from head to toe again. To push back anything in our lives that is not right. To push out sin or distractions or the things that mess us up. To push that all away and to fill us full and overflowing with the power and the life and the joy and and everything of of the Holy Spirit of God. Make us like Jesus. God, I pray that we would walk out of here so overflowing that where we go today and this week, we would just kind of drip Jesus everywhere we go. Let it just overflow right out of us. Fill us so full of your spirit that we have power to show Jesus to the world. God, every one of us, we're walking out of here and we're going into a real life and it's complicated. And we're going into a real world that's sometimes difficult. But we are serving a real God who is present and who is strong. So, God, as we walk into that world, as we walk out of here today and into our space, would you help us to carry Jesus well? Would you help us to do good? Would you help us to love each other? And would you help us to reveal Jesus? Because it's all about Jesus. I ask that you would cover and bless every person here, that you would help us to to change our world and influence our world for you, that you would bring us safely back next Sunday. And I thank you, God, for your goodness and your love. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Have a fantastic week. Go carry Jesus to your world. Be like Jesus, identify with Jesus, and have a fantastic week.